Welcome to Jewish History with Rabbi David Katz, connecting the human side to Jewish history. For sponsorship opportunities or to support this podcast, please visit our donate page at www.support.rabbidavidkatz.com. Hi, it's uh, Monday night in Cholmoid. Let me see if I can do. Uh, I was asked by uh, my good friend Clydeman, Richard Kleiman, who wants to sponsor something about Pesach. I'll get to it in a second. Um, in in memory, as a bunch of yard sites coming up now on Pesach. Now is the end. He's got three people, three yard sites. Razel by Herschel Yosef. He said, "My wife's grandmother, my wife's grandmother, says the Shvishal Pesach." And then Richard said, "My aunt Sarah Basyankov Lev on the eighth day of Pesach, the last day of Pesach." And then Richard said, "My father Chaim Mayor Ben Mordechai Halevi, on Israel. Oh my goodness!" Says the yard seat on the seventh, the eighth, and and the the day after. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Um, and he says his father was always concerned with ethics and morals, but not with religion, which was narrow minded and exclusionary. Um, yeah, it's true. Religion is narrow minded and exclusionary. Um, and uh, indeed, he shares with me that towards the end of his life, his dad became disheartened and illusioned that after. World went through so much in World War II where he served, and during the Depression, the world did not become a better place. There was a whole generation or two or three of Jews who really were liberals, and I'm not, I'm not saying this in any kind of way to make fun. They were genuine idealists um, in America and elsewhere. They weren't religious for one reason or another. We're talking about decades ago. Uh, but they projected, they channeled their idealism into making a better world in which there would really be world peace and democracy and uh, economic justice and that sort of thing. But people aren't built that way. In other words, let's put it this way. If you put your hopes in that kind of a liberal outcome, chances are you're going to be disappointed because uh, the world is an ugly place. Uh, But nevertheless, we shouldn't give up on idealism. We should not give up on idealism. But anyway, so Richard was uh, talking to me, mentioned me in an email. Uh, He's interested in different things, aspects. As I am of the Haggadah, especially the Four Sons, which is an interesting uh, approach. When you get to the Four Sons, that's like timeless. And uh, and let's face it, the most interesting of the Four Sons is the Russia. We ain't too interested in the Tom in the Daily Show. I've never heard any big drushes on the Tom in the Daily Show. And the Chacham is the Chacham. You know, the Russia is only very interesting. <clears throat> There's a famous story in the Kelmer Magad who was the great speaker back in Europe. If I remember the story correctly, they asked him, you know, one of the Maskil, he was always fighting the Maskil, and they were always fighting him. Uh, oh boy, he knew, he was an unbelievable speaker. And uh, somebody, if I remember the story correctly, said, why are you always making new farm? They're not enough farm ready. I knew how God shall pay so. Every year comes another God shall pay so. Don't we already know the story? And he said something along the lines, the reason you have a new Haggadah shall pay so, because the Russia of last year became a tzaddik this year. And he was saying that cynically. He didn't mean that the Russia did shuba. He said the society got more corrupt and what was considered bad once upon a time now is exalted. In other words, the kind of thing that Richard was just talking about with that being disillusioned the way the world went. 
if someone's a real liberal, you know, if someone is a real liberal and they think we fought World War World War Two and fought the, the Cold War, and now you got Trump, that's how the liberals think. You see, you know, it's it's it, it, it history takes the wrong direction, uh, and you know, I like I said before, I get it, but I want to say a thought that I was uh, having this year. Uh, I hope it'll be thoughtful about the Russia because I gave some thought to it because of a certain reason. And uh, there are a lot of Russians out there, not to be funny about it. And a lot of families have their uh, four sons. And a lot of families have maybe the Chacham, but a lot of families have the Russia. The thing is like this. I mentioned this in my Shulon Yantiv. In classic Jewish thought, there are basically two types of Russias, A and B. One type of Russia is the good kind, and the other type of Russia is the bad. Now, what do you mean? Well, as I've mentioned from time to time, uh, in the Jewish literature, in the rabbinic literature, uh, the Jewish community is always assumed, I would even say the model, the ideal Jewish community is always assumed, consists of the righteous, the wicked, and the in-betweens. The Tzaddik, the Russia, and the Bainanin. Okay? This is like an ideal. Now, every time I say this, I get emails from people who say, no, God wants everybody to be a tzaddik and all that. I, I understand what you're saying, but that's like a high school mentality. You know, it's, it's, it's very shallow, in my personal opinion. Uh, there's no such thing as a community in which everybody's going to be righteous. Unless you talk about two blocks, you know, in some, you know, Chaim Kanievsky type, uh, which I say uh, is strong... Uh, Enclosure. I mean, it doesn't happen that way. Right? In the history of Klai Yisrael, from day one, I repeat, from the original Pesach, consisted of Tzadik uh, Mosham Benin. I've said last year, one of the basic rules of Pesach, carbon Pesach, is it has to be done in three groups. And the Yushalmi says that the original Pesach was done in three groups. That Moshe's voice projected real loud, and basically, he said, I'm now calling on group, excuse me, I'm now calling on group A to do the carbon Pesach. And then later he says, I'm calling on group B, and then eventually group C. So even among the original Jews in Egypt, they didn't do it all at the exact same moment. And the best way, to my mind, that you can make up a tripartite division of the carbon Pesach, not a tribal one with 12 tribes, you know, Karmano, Karzkezbecha, not like that, but a tripartite one. Is there once the tzaddik, once the Russian, once the, the in between? The tzaddikim were the ones who were ready to offer the karma pesach at the risk of their lives. The rishonim were the, the holdovers, and the, the benim were in between. I only mention that because from day one, as a people, we have a group where you're not going to find everybody to be a tzaddik. That's how it goes. Um, in fact, the main cause of hypocrisy in the firm world is precisely over that. Now, the question becomes, where does the Russia fit into this? And in classic Judaism, we have the concept, if, if I can call it, of the good Russia. And by that I mean the following. This is the Russia who identifies with the community and with its values. And therefore, is part of the Tzibor, and Hashem likes it that way, even though theologically you'd think that Hashem wants everybody to be righteous, and on a one-by-one -one basis, you may, that may be true. 
But on a group basis, God knows, because the way the Jewish people are constituted, you're almost never going to get that. You're always going to get, in any shul, in any community, in any school, in any group, the better, the worse, and the ones in the middle. Like the floaters. Right? It's not a question of vanity. That's how it goes. Even on, um, even the rabbinic conception of the high holidays is based on the idea of Rosh Hashanah and Kippur, that the three books are open, and the Tzadikim, Gomorrah are this way, and the Rosh Hashanah and Gomorrah are this way, and the Benim are in the middle, as we all know. See, even when it comes to something like your judgment for the year, all the rest of it, in the rabbinic imagination, because it's not literal that there is, you know, Hashem is sitting on a, on a, uh, on a throne, judging anybody. On the other hand, it's not a fancy. People are judged. So even then, there's a tripartite kind of judgment. That's the connection between Pesach on the one hand and Rosh Hashanah and Kippur on the other. But that's a separate schmooze. Now, that being the case, so if you find a Russia who acknowledges that what he's doing is not right, even though he or she may be caught up in doing it anyway, maybe they're addicted to it, maybe they're really into it, as we would say today, the HCR is too strong in this particular department. Could be. But they're not claiming, hypocritically, to be doing the right thing. <clears throat> so God likes that. That's what we're told over and over again. Provided they join with the Tibor and accept, in the Tibor sense, a position of inferiority in the moral sense. Hashem likes that. In other words, it is a powerful confirmation of the good when the bad concede that the good is good. Did you hear what I just said? It is a tremendously powerful confirmation of the good when the bad admit that the good is good. You have a problem when you, when you have you know, a fight over the values itself. This is a problem we have with modern liberalism in which they you want to you know, change the cultural values sexually and otherwise in all kinds of areas racially and so forth. And so they want to say, that was just good, is now bad, and that was just bad, now good. You know, that's a problem. But provided that the, those who are doing the not the right thing admit that they're doing not the right thing, there's no more powerful confirmation of the rightness of the right, if you understand that. And therefore we have those famous models in the Torah of the Ketoros on the one hand and the Arbaminim on the other. You know this, you don't need me to tell you that the Ketoris is actually, you know, a mixture of the good and bad spices. And guess what? There are many Mepharshim on the Haggadah who tell you Pesach Matzamar is also a manifestation. I think the Chidah, but I'm sure many Haggadahs do that. That, you know, the Pesach represents the Tzadikim, and the Mara represents the, the Rishayim, and the uh, Matzah, which is, you know, bland, would represent the the, the bane in it. <clears throat> it's a very common model. I've seen that many times. I'm sure you have too. It's, it, it it just suggests itself. It's such an obvious thing. And think about that in the taste sense. Uh, not in the olfactory sense like you do with the guitarist, but with the taste sense. <clears throat> so the meat gives you a good taste. Listen very closely. The morer, when it's eaten together with the meat and the sandwich, actually tastes good. Like I say, the way you do a condiment, the way you do Tabasco. You don't want to drink the Tabasco down, but if you do the right amount in the right way in combination with the other food, it flavors the other food. You hear what I just said? It flavors the food. Not that its taste is suppressed by the food. 
When you have Pesach Matzah for example, you don't say that by eating it together like Hillel in a sandwich, you suppress the taste of the Mara. No. Actually, it's a basic din if you want to get a halachic on me, you know, that you can't miss his rats zoo a zoo. You have to taste the Mara. But the idea goes like this. The Mara, when it's eaten in that way, actually tastes good. The way you put hot sauce, you know, on a, I don't know, on a hamburger or a hot dog, whatever. You get it? We all know this. Okay? I mean, who eats horseradish? The answer is, horseradish is eaten in different ways as condiments in general society. So nobody wants to eat the mora the way we do. I eat the straight mora, you know, in my family, just, just the root. But I'm just saying, nobody does that normally, if not for the Seder. But there are such a thing as mora, horseradish, for example. And what you do over there is, what do you call it? It's, uh, you know, <laughs> it's uh, used as a, I don't know, relish, a condiment. Well, other thing. That's what it is. So, that which was bad is transformed into tasting good when it's the right combination with the other foods. You hear the word? That which was bad, like the, the mar is Vasco, now when it's put together, is actually flavoring it in a good way. So, in, in a classic mystical sense, we say all the time, like the Ketorah, same thing, it's, the Chalbana by itself smells bad, but when it's together with the other things, it smells good. So what you're saying over there is that by joining together with the other parts of Kali Yisrael and acknowledge, but at the same time, not holding yourself up as a role model, but saying, listen, I do what I do, but I want to be part of the Tzibur anyway. And even if I'm, so to speak, in terms of my uh, mysim, my, my conduct is not praiseworthy, but I'm willing, in order to join the group, I'm willing to accept a position of inferiority. There's a certain nobility in that. Okay? There's a certain ability for a person to say, I want to join something, even if I won't be number one. There's a certain ability, and that nobility itself flavors the rest of the seaboard, as it were. And that's why the Messiah Sishom and the others always say, and I've quoted a thousand times, you know, I think in the parak about uh, Mishkal Chasidis, not Mishkal Chasidis, but Chasidis. I'm talking Mishkal Sisharm now, where he says, what Hashem wants is <clears throat> that they should all be together and that the tzaddikim should be followed for and be and, and use their mitzvahs to intervene on behalf of the Rishayim so that the Rishayim should be saved from the consequences of their sin. In other words, in the same way we want the Rasha to subsume himself in the Tzibor, uh for, for joining in to be part of the collective and accepting his inferior position, the tzaddik responds to that by saying, okay, since you did that noble act, I want to use my schar for you. Basically, I'm, 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 um, I'm doing something which really is offensive to a Maimonidean sense. Because usually, most people are trained to have a kind of a capitalistic attitude towards your schar bonish. Any money you make, you keep, <laughs> right? Uh, but any money I made, you don't get. I'm the one who did the mitzvah. You didn't get the mitzvah. Heck with you. So I'm going to heaven, and you, you're literally to hell with you, you know? And it's not so. That's what Mishil Sharm says, and, and other places. That if people are alone, then that may be true about the Russia who, who lives by himself and does not identify with the Tzibur. And same thing for the Tzaddik. will keep all this car for himself. But what Hashem really wants, because remember, it's in the chapter of Hasidus. And Hasidus is the one who goes, lift him, sure as a din, because he's not thinking capitalistically about his own mitzvahs. And if he is, but he's thinking, what does Hashem want? I want to do what Hashem wants. 
even if it's lifted, Mishur Sadin. Okay? And so in that situation, you have something very noble from the strictly Judaic point of view. You have the righteous and the wicked coming together. The wicked saying, we have been bad, and we hope you'll help us out, and we acknowledge that you're right. And the right say, yeah, we want, we want, I repeat, to to use our schar and give it to you. Okay? Because I don't want a Russia to suffer. That's not a capitalistic attitude. The capitalistic attitude is, you didn't keep Shabbos, heck with you, you know? You didn't keep kosher, heck with you. Not supposed to be. That's not the way it is. Meaning, that's not Hasidic. Hasidic says, you didn't keep Shabbos, but I'll be can, I want to help you. Right? I want to help you. This is the essence of charity, opinion, shalim, and a hundred other things. So that's the Russia that we call the good Russia. Again, with the Arbamina, we all know the Lulav represents this, the Esther represents the Tzaddik, the good smell and the good this, and the Hadas and the Rabbis, and you bring them all together, and it's a Chazal. It's not some Russia from a rabbi in the Velterine. It's a Medish Rabbi, and it's maybe in the Gemara also, that, you know, And so the idea is you have a Tzibor. Now, that would represent the kind of Russia that we're talking about would come, let's say, for example, to a to a Seder, and would indeed assume a uh, appropriately, how shall I say it, um, subordinate role, and say, "Listen, what I do in my own life is one thing, but you know, Seder, I want to uh, the pace I want to get right, and I'm going to my parents, my grandparents, my friend, uh, my roommate, whatever it is." To participate in it because I want this to be done. I want, for, I want to have the, the Pesach experience in the right way. Maybe afterwards I'll drive home. But the Pesach experience I want to have in the right way. And so what the person is saying by that is, this is the right way it's supposed to be. I'm not there. But I nevertheless, in spite of what, the fact that I'm not there, I want to be part of the Seder. I want to be part of it. That is not the way the people in Agata portrayed the Russia. Instead they came with a different model. Which he didn't have to, but that's what the Bali Agadis chose to do. And they did a Russia who's like this. I'm right, you're wrong, and Ma'avod is Oslochem. In other words, he's challenging, as we usually understand it, the whole Seder in the first place. See, he came to challenge the, the, the authenticity and the legitimacy of the entire Passover ceremony. Ma'avod is Oslochem. Right? And the way it's interpreted, now we could get into discussion, Eschem, Lochem, is that really there? But you and I know that's the way how God has done it for thousands of years, is is taken as an attitude of rejection. Not that, as I said before, I personally am not observant, or this, that, and the other, but nevertheless, I want to be part of it anyway. Uh, But the reverse. I'm here, but I'm here to tell you I don't hold from this. So this is the kind of Russia you see sometimes. It drives me crazy, but it's my own fault for reading these things. I told you, my pornography is to read about the decline when the internet, you see the reform, the conservative, this group, that group, and the other group. Little by little, they they wither away. It's quite interesting, actually. And um, you'll see a certain type of article, you know, in this non-from magazine, the other. This is why I'm not fasting on, on, on Yom Kippur this year. This is why I'm eating hummus uh, at the Seder. This is why, no, Pesach doesn't work for me. Hanukkah, I don't like candles and Hanukkah, all the rest of it. As if I give a darn what they, you know, what they do or don't do. But the idea over there, that's the Russia, leave a little low. You know, 
What's interesting is me and I and and I can only establish my independent identity by rejecting in principle what everybody else is doing. That's a different type of Russia. Okay? And that's why we say that's that's stigmatizing this Russia as belonging to group B and not group A. One can only surmise that you had these types um, you know, back in the time of the Haggadah. Right? Then it becomes highly speculative. What are you talking about? From the Greek era, talking about the Roman era, could this have any a reference to early Christianity, which is, you know, was a Jewish sect? I don't think so, but I've seen such things. And, you know, and, and in other words, it's interesting to speculate on all this if you're that type. But the point is, the point is that this Russia is, is saying, I'm here, but I'm here to tell you I don't want to participate, which is so American. You know, I'm telling you, it drives me crazy, these things. I shouldn't even read these, whatever. But this is, like I say, the things that I get my purient interest from, you know, watching this kind of, um, uh, what's the right word? Selfish, uh, you know, declarations of non-observance. You don't observe, don't observe. When you make a whole big thing, I'm telling the whole world I'm not observing. That means the whole world's supposed to give a darn who you are. You understand? Some lady writes, I'm, I'm eating uh, hummus on pesos. So what? So what? There's nothing significant in that. But that's the Russia of the Haggadah. That's the Russia of the Haggadah. So it makes a difference how the... So to use modern terminology, in my opinion, it makes a difference. Uh, and where I'm going is like this. It doesn't have to be your son. People have guests at a Seder. And you have all kinds of guests that say, you know, everyone's holding it a different time and place. At this particular time in my life, we have mostly a family, you know, and so forth, a lot of people. But uh, when I grew up, for example, in my parents' house, uh, there was always these uh, down and outs that joined and say that my father would bring them in. You know, people are widowers and this, and that, some losers, whatever. That's that's what you did in Europe, you understand? The Rambam talks about this in Hulus Yontav. He says it's a disgrace if you don't have Arkham at the table. It's a European sensibility. Um, now, instead, we just give money to an organization that takes care of it <laughs> away from us. But when you had those type of people, so we had a fair number of people that weren't from, but the idea, you know, over the years, but there's two types of people that show up. One of them says like this, Thanks for inviting me. You know, this does not mean I'm becoming Orthodox, but thanks for inviting me. And it's interesting to me to see a Passover ceremony. Again, I'm not swearing and undertaking, you know, a radical change in lifestyle, but I'm, uh, you know, interested in, in, in this. Uh, I'm interested in participating tonight in a Jewish ritual. That's Russia A. So he's okay. But then every once in a while you get the big mouth who comes in and is making fun of everything. That's usually a relative of some sort or another. And that's someone with an attitude. And, you know, it's like, oh, when are we going to eat? And who came up with all the stupid stuff? And this is racism. And, uh, you know, because after all, they didn't free the other slaves. By the standards of modern political correct liberalism, Passover is a terrible story because they only freed some of the slaves. They didn't free the other slaves. And, you know, I give it And, you know, you can twist it in a hundred ways. And they do nowadays. They do. That's the Russia of the Haggadah. Now, the question becomes, how do you deal with that? That's very interesting. As we all know, in the Haggadah, it says, Hakeshinov. 
which many falsely interpret to mean kick him in the teeth because they don't realize it's hey cuff hey and not hey cuff hey. Hey cuff hey would mean, uh, what do you call it? Uh, strike him physically in the teeth. Kick him in the teeth. Or punch him in the teeth. That's better. But it says hakeshita, which means rhetorically, give him a sharp retort that, you know, like you see in English, busted, gotcha, right? Like that, the kids say. So you give him a, a, a sharp answer, and then he's like, you know, uh, because words, when they're used uh, intelligently, this is the science of rhetoric. When they're used uh, intelligently, are very powerful. I think we call these guys lawyers today, if I'm not mistaken. <laughs> right? Uh, if you know how to use the language, the English language, whatever it is, in a powerful way to get your point across, uh, you know, it's it's like striking somebody with a hammer. It's hakeh shinov. So that would mean they have somebody show up at the Seder with an attitude, is coming super seriously, and is shooting his mouth off. So what's the right way to answer him? So I'll tell you the truth. I'm a human being. I'm not a saint. To me, it would depend. Uh, now, if somebody's a Kirov person, either by Teva or by training, so they're used to people coming with all these attitudes, and, you know, you're supposed to learn techniques how to work with that. I never was in a Kirov, I don't know, that kind of stuff. Uh, so if it was a stranger, and if I was able to, I'd do Hakeshinov. You give me one of your stupid retorts, I'll bust your face, rhetorically. You understand? Like, you know, what do you know about Judaism? I, I don't know. I have no idea what I'd say. But you say, you'd hope, you know, you come up with something that'll be his anger. You know how it goes. You have an argument with somebody, then when you walk away, you say, doggone it, why didn't I think of this line? Right? So that's Hakeshinov. You know, give him a, a sharp retort that would, that would you know, uh, silence or shame him or something like that. Uh, that's me. But if it was a member of my family, if it was a relative of one kind or another, I wouldn't do that. Because there I care about not burning the bridges. You understand? If I had a cousin, a brother-in-law, this, that, and the other, child, whatever it is, uh, then it's a different story. Now, I want to tell you something really interesting. And I don't know why, but um, I have a bunch of agotas. I bet you have 50, 60 agotas, you know. And over the years. And you know me, I used to like to get the ones with the kudos. Now, not so much. But, um... Uh, there's one Moshe Feinstein. I don't know what it's called. Oh, they came out with a couple of years. You know, there's this guy in Israel puts out one every year, Wallach, you know, with the Manuka, uh, with a collection of stuff. And from Nigris Moshe and Darish Moshe, you can put together a belt. So it was a good day. But to tell you the truth, it wasn't so much material I could use. But by me, since of my generation, even reading the other stuff about Moshe Feinstein, I found very interesting. And uh, But I can't find it this year. Somebody borrowed it. And gave it back to me the second day of Pesach. A year ago, you know, we bought it a year ago and it was a misunderstanding. And I just got it back. And um, this morning was in Shul and I can't find it. I don't know what I do with it now. It's like not faded. The one thing that sticks in my mind from that Haggadah, because remember, I have dozens of Haggadahs, is what Ramosha says over there on Hakeshina with the Russia. Now, Ramosha finds him with somebody living in the United States of America. Therefore, he's very... Uh, um, uh, sensitive and aware of the American um, uh, culture, American sensibility. Listen to what I'm about to tell you. Every Jewish culture, wherever they've lived, have had their particular type of Russia. You see? They're not all identical. Like the Kelmer Magid said, the Russia is changing every year. So that which constituted a Russia in the time of the Rambam is not necessarily identical 
which that was constituted in Russia in the USA in the year 2022, or in France in the year 1822, or in Poland in the year 1622, and so forth. You understand? Uh, so, in America, we have our particular type of Russia. In Eretz Yisrael, where you don't have what we have over here, you have the Chilonim, you have the Sephardim, it's Mamash, a different type of Russia. Imagine a very traditional Sephardic family, with some of whom are not observant. And, you know, and the not observant ones come to the grandparents on Pesach. You're not going to say, like, this Kaki, Ashinov, and Tom go to the devil, something like that. There's no point. That Russia is not presenting himself with the style of, you know, throw the whole thing out the window. He's simply saying, I don't do it, but I'm, I'm, I'm happy to come for Pesach. But in America, we have the more Ashkenazic, ideological, and all that kind of stuff. So there you have these people sometimes who, you know, say, I reject the whole thing. It's ridiculous. And Ramosha said that uh, nowadays we don't do Hakeshino. I wish I had that gun in front of me. I'm just uh, kicking myself, but I couldn't find it. It was raining cats and dogs. So I just ran out of shoulder to come home. And I just don't have it in front of me. You know what happens. After this podcast is over, I'll find it in the house. But meanwhile, I rem- I do it from memory. Any of you who have a Moshe Feinstein Agoda with the Nakudas, I forget what it's called. You know, I have a picture of him on the front. It's very nice. As I said before, I like it. Um, but I don't remember all of it, but I remember this part. That nowadays, we don't do Hakeshinov. And what do Moshe mean by that? In America, Lozu Aderich. It's not productive. You understand? It's not productive. Now, in spite of that, I have a temper. And if I was ran one of these guys, in the right circumstances, I shoot my mouth off. Hakeshinov, if I was able to. Because I'm just indulging my temper. But... Ramosha was a greater person than I am, and taking a statesman-like view, he says, no, th- that's not the way you go. You have to figure another approach to the Russia. So even though the Haggadah has classically, you know, four approaches to the four sons, that was at that time, we don't necessarily follow the same model today, which I thought was very, very interesting. Uh, and of course, obviously, he's right. It's got to be tailored to the American reality, to the American situation. So it is all kind of relatives and in-laws and children and this and that and the other parents even you know they have this issue and that issue an intelligent approach would not be to simply mechanically comp uh you know copy the template they have now got but to use um the use uh, your wisdom to tailor uh a approach to the russia that would speak to them in modern american terms that's what I think of Moshe meant. That's, that's what I think that meant. Uh, so to conclude, there's two types of Russias. The problem with the Russian Agoda is he's Russia B and not Russia A. At the very least, what you'd like him to do is get to the point of Russia A. Obviously, your maximum program is to get him to become from again. If you can get him to become observant, Matov Anoim. But a lot of times, that's not so simple. But at least you want him to move from the alienated Russia and the alienating Russia to the non-alienated Russia, which is an interesting term, which we value very highly. That would be the Chalbana, that would be the, the Aravis in the uh, in the uh, Lulav and Esther, and that would be the Moror in the Karben Pesach. So we have three classic models in, in biblical Judaism in which the whole point is to try to integrate um, the Russia in such a way that as a result of this, his riches, because the Russia doesn't change, the Moror does not change, it's still bitter. But in the right circumstances, it's used and it comes out good. Again, I always like to give this 
model, even though I don't know why, but you know, when they had the Warsaw Ghetto Uprising against the Germans, where they get their um, guns from? If I remember correctly, from Jewish mafia figures. Now, I, mafia is a bad thing. Yes, it is. Of course it is. But in the Hitler, and you need guns, that's the place to get it. And the, and the, and the Jewish mafia guy that came and said, I'm going to get you guns, he's joining the Tibur, so to speak. And he's his bad flavor is becoming a good flavor, if you follow what I'm saying. Now, mystically, there's a lot more in this subject, but I don't want to go in that direction. And I'm sure you don't want me to go in that direction. So these are just the general ideas I have on uh, the very, very interesting subject of the four sons, especially the Russia. But I'm referring, I'm trying to put in the framework of the Russia of the year 2022. Not the Russia of 1922, and not the Russia of 1962, but the Russia of 2022. And um, it's it's a, an interesting exercise in analysis to try to ask yourself, what's the best way of reacting to and, uh, you know, interacting with uh, the Russia of 2022? Anyway, that was the thought I had. Again, I want to thank the Clydebins for sponsoring this and wish everybody a, um, a good moment. For sponsorship opportunities or to support this podcast, please visit our donate page at www.support.rabbidavidkatz.com.